Take your Bibles again this evening, the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. We will finish up 1 Corinthians 15. We've now been 10 Wednesday nights, 10 Wednesdays on this chapter uh, out of 1 Corinthians, uh, working our way verse by verse on the topic of the resurrection. What a wonderful topic this is, and tonight we will seek to make our way through Excuse me, the rest of the chapter this evening. 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, let's begin reading with verse 55 through 58, please. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Tonight we heard of several of, uh, of folks that we know or are familiar with that have served the Lord and have given their lives. And Brother Godfrey was telling me about this one gentleman who had gone to Indonesia uh, back many, many years ago when going to Indonesia was a very difficult thing and a very hard work and just a hard way of life. And They stuck it out. This week, he realized, as he saw Christ, he realized that his labor was not in vain. And what a blessing, what a truth that is for every. That's not just for a few of us. That's for all born-again believers. Serving the Lord, our labor is not in vain. And God rewards every bit of labor. And God gives back uh, tenfold for everything we've ever done for Him. So it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Sometimes we may think that this is hard, this is difficult. I'm not sure I want to carry on down this road, but it will be worth it all because God gives again back and rewards abundantly. When He comes, He will have His reward with Him to give to His saints. And so that would be a wonderful day. And that's what we're dealing with Excuse me, here out of... 1 Corinthians. We start out with, and he asks the question, O death, where is thy sting? Paul is literally, he's kind of like mocking death. (laughs) He's making fun of it. He's mocking it here. Where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Someone wrote, there's a preacher of the old school, but he speaks as boldly as ever. He's not popular though uh, through the world, uh, but his parish is in all of the world. He travels every part of the globe and speaks in every language. He visits the poor, calls upon the rich, preaches to people of every religion and no religion. And the subject of his sermon is always the same. He's not an eloquent preacher, but he stirs feelings everywhere he goes. He brings tears to the eyes of those who have never wept. His arguments none are able to refute, nor is there any heart that, is, uh, that has remained unmoved by the force of his appeals. He shatters life with his message. Most people hate him. Everyone fears him. His name, death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text. And someday every one of us will hear his sermon. What a, what a thought and what a way to think about this matter of death. And Paul says, O death, where is thy sting? You know, death is the greatest enemy of mankind. The greatest enemy of mankind. Death entered in 
the first generation of mankind, and, and it's, he's still in every generation since then. He entered in in the beginning, and he's still there. He, he's touched every generation since that time. Death is the greatest enemy of mankind. And even though we have increased in knowledge, boy, with the internet and all that's going on, the increasing of knowledge, and there are those out there that have come up with formulas as to the doubling of knowledge. In other words, the knowledge that's available. Uh, certainly, I haven't gained any more, I don't think. I, I think I mean, something like that computer, you can't get any more in there. Something's got to drop out for something else to connect on. But uh, the, the availability of it is quite amazing. Increase of knowledge is, is, is at a rapid pace. The rate of knowledge increase is phenomenal. It's said that in 1900, uh, human knowledge doubled every 100 years. By 1945, it doubled in every 25 years. In 1981, IBM did a study and they said knowledge doubles Every 13 months. And today, uh, if you have a new computer, you know as well as I do, you go out and buy a new computer, uh, it's out of date tomorrow. Uh, the things don't work that they used to do. Those floppy disks flopped, and, and now even the disks are, are no good anymore. Everything is just changing. It's so quick. Uh, now they say that... that the doubling of knowledge is every 12 hours. That's an amazing thought to me. The amount of knowledge available that's being put up on the internet and put out for public consumption is doubling every eight hours. And so, so knowledge certainly is increasing. Would you say that with me? It's true. It, it's, it's increasing at a phenomenal rate. Um, you know, it's enough to bring my old puny brain to overload. And you read some of this stuff and you try, I can't even sure I can compute it all. With all the increase of knowledge, all the discovery that mankind has ever made, they've never been able to deal with death. Think about it. Never been able, we can prolong the life expectancy. At least they claim they can. They can do this and give this medicine and, and, and increase it and say, well, your life expectancy. But nobody really knows. And what the fact is, what everybody does know, but nobody's willing to admit that nobody's ever been able to deal with this matter of death. The thing called death, that it affects us all. No doctors, no scientists. no educator, no politician. Boy, they like to claim a lot of things. No politician, no judges. Uh, sooner or later, death is going to come to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Uh, if God tarries, now there's, a, there's, one, there's one exception to that, and that's called the rapture. But we'll all face it one day, as those that had gone before us will all face it. All one day, our names will be in those columns in the newspaper. All die. No exceptions, no excuses. Death reigns upon earth. Death is everywhere. And all the knowledge that man has gained, man cannot do anything about death. Can't do a thing about it. But if there would be one, if there would just be one who would, who would come along and put an end to death, well, wouldn't he be the greatest? If there'd be somebody just come along and just say, you know what, and just do away with it. Uh, when they came out with penicillin, you know, that was the miracle drug. And now they, they got these things. These are the miracle drugs. And 
again, to prolong life but not stop death. But if someone could do away with it, it would be the greatest of all. If there could be one found who can give us some hope beyond the grave, that individual will have accomplished the greatest thing that any man has ever been able to accomplish. Give us some hope beyond the grave. Conquer death. The amazing good news is that such a man exists. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is the Lord. Look at, uh, look at f- chapter 15 and verse number 20. Verse number 20 of chapter 15. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And become the first fruits of them that slept. But now is Christ risen from the dead. He conquered death. If one man could conquer death for all humanity, my, what an amazing thing this would be. Jesus Christ did that for mankind. He did that for me and he did that for you. For by one man's sin, death reigned. But by another man, eternal life reigned. Look at verses 21 and 22. For since by man came death, by man also came, look, the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. There's one that has conquered this thing called death. Listen to Revelation chapter number 1 and verse number 18. Revelation 1 and 18. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Uh, That's a good place to put an amen right there. And have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus has those keys. And he alone is the one that opens the door. And he closes the door of death. It's appointed a man once to die. And God's in control of that. That's why a Christian does not commit suicide. It's not up to us to decide these things. It's up to God to decide these things. So God has the keys. You see, Jesus is the remedy for death. And I can't understand it. This I cannot understand. Why every... Man, woman, and boy, and girl who knows that death lurks out there waiting. That that knows that death will one day come. Who knows there's an appointed time unto man wants to die. That why wouldn't they want a remedy? If there's a remedy to be found, why aren't people loading up into Gospel preaching, eternal life giving word of God. Why aren't people coming to places to hear, to know that remedy? It it is amazing to me. I'm not sure I understand it. The God of this world is blinded the minds of them that believe not. Lest the light of the gospel should shine unto them. That's the only thing I can determine as to why they don't come to the remedy, why they don't come to Jesus Christ. If death is lurking, and even tonight we, we prayed for folks who seem to be at the place where it is closer than ever before. Why in the world wouldn't they want to come and find the remedy for this thing called death that's so close? I don't understand it. 
receive that remedy and, and asking people, where in the world could I find that remedy? Listen to John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11, verses 25 and 26. Listen to the passage. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Jesus said in verse number 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus Christ brought about the death of death. He brought death to death. He conquered it. Death died when Jesus Christ came up out of that grave. This is amazing. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 3. 15 and verse number 3. For I deliver unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We read in verse number 20, But is... But now is Christ risen from the dead. Look at verse number 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. That morning, that Easter morning, when they came looking to the tomb, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, for he is risen. We noted out of verses 21 and 22 of our text, in Adam, by Adam, all came death. We're all connected by Adam, sinners by nature, sinners by choice. But in Christ came the resurrection of the dead. All die in Adam. Those who are in Christ have that resurrection, hope, that power that comes through him and him alone. Jesus conquered death for himself. He came up out of the tomb. But get it, it goes further than that. He also conquered it for me. And he conquered it for you. This is the amazing so. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse number 22 says. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, when does death end for the believer? When does death end for the believer? Some will say, well, somewhere down the road. Eventually, you know, somewhere down the road, death's going to end for a believer. But that's not the case. It's not Bible. It ends when you receive eternal life. Death ends for the believer when you receive eternal life. When you get saved, that's when you receive eternal life. The moment we put our faith and trust in a risen Savior in the death, the burial and resurrection, the moment we call upon the Lord to save us, death dies for that individual. Dies for the believer the moment you receive Him. When you receive eternal life, the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Eternal life cannot be interrupted by death. Can't be interrupted. John 3 and 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Hath present tense. It's not someday in the future. But it's the 
here and now. It's the moment we receive Christ. Death dies for that individual. Listen to John chapter number 5 and verse number 24. Let me read you John 25 and 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. This is amazing. This is wonderful. This is the gospel. This is the truth that Paul is conveying in the longest chapter out of 1 Corinthians. And I understand why it took him so long to to lay it all out because it's so much here. Because it's so important. It's so, so important. The moment you get saved, death died for you. You don't wait to receive eternal life. You have eternal life. The death of death for you and for me, for the entire world, is not complicated. It's simplified. Understand Jesus did it all. Jesus did it. Jesus completed. He did the work for us. And then in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, He did the work for us. And you know what He did? He did all the work and He packaged it all together and He called it the gospel. He said... All you got to do is believe it. All you have to do is accept it. Accept it. The moment that it's accepted, death dies for the believer. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You can't work for it. You can only accept it by faith. Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. By man came death. By man also came the resurrection. Look at verse number 51. Verse number 51 of our text. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I've seen that uh, in some nurseries along the way. The context doesn't quite fit there. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, what's a mystery? A mystery is... Is not something that we cannot figure out. But biblically, every time you see a mystery in the Bible, it's a mystery that was hidden in the past, but it's now been revealed in the Word of God. Something that you and I would not have known, but yet God revealed it to us. It's a mystery, but God reveals it. Here He reveals the mystery of the resurrection in Ephesians. It talks about the mystery of the church. Uh, They couldn't understand it. Uh, one church together, both Jew and Gentile together. What's this all about? The middle wall partition has been broken down. That mystery, but God reveals the church. Here he reveals this mystery to us. The mystery revealed to us is that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. He alone, he came up out of the grave. It's that which has been revealed to us. And he goes on to say, we shall not all sleep. Now, that's not soul sleep. Some around here try to teach soul sleep. The Bible nowhere teaches soul sleep. We've dealt with that on a number of occasions here. So in the context, Paul's not talking about death, then sleeping, and and, uh, and, and, and then back and forth. He's not dealing with that. But he's, this word sleep here is literally death. You take a believer, and, and when he dies... Uh, he, his physical body dies. And he says, we shall not all die physically. We're not all going to die physically. 
there are, as we know, centuries upon centuries of believers who have died. We spoke of some tonight. They died physically. The earthly body died, but the life continued on. That's the key. The earthly body died, but the life continued on. 2 Corinthians 5 and 18. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Instantaneously present with the Lord. Death is not the end all. It's merely the entrance into heaven for the believer. Let me say that again. Death is not the end all, it's literally the entrance into heaven for the believer. Death to the believer is the door to heaven unlocked by the key in the hands of Jesus Christ. He holds the key. He unlocks the door. He invites us in. And he says, look at verse number um, 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. You see, these old bodies are not fit for heaven. These old bodies really are hard-pressed to be fit for this earth. They're decaying all the time. They're going down all the time. And this old body ain't fit for heaven. But when we die, there's a new body that comes forth. That new body is going to come forth at the resurrection. At the rapture, that's going to take place. Many will enter into heaven by way of a physical death. And that's happened since the beginning of time. By way of a physical death. That's the entrance into heaven. Others will enter into heaven by way of the rapture. Jesus is coming again. Amen? He could come tonight. Amen? He could come tonight. And if He comes tonight, guess what? We are all alive when He comes. We're not going to go to heaven by way of death, but we'll go to heaven by way of the rapture. But either way, all believers are going up. All believers are going up. All believers are going to be forever with the Lord. There shall we meet the Lord in the air and forever be with Him. But many enter in by way of physical death. Others enter in by way of the rapture. But regardless of the avenue, there will be a change that takes place. Verse number 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Verse number 52, the latter phrase, And we shall be changed, be changed. When that change takes place, this flesh and blood, this earthly body, will be traded for the heavenly body. The uh, One fit for heaven. We will, that which is earthly, not fit for heaven, we will put on the heavenly body. This is, this is such a tremendous thing. What is it all going to be like and, and, and exactly look like? I don't know. But I know what the Bible tells me. And I know that we will, as we mentioned last week, we'll retain our identities. Remember on Sunday morning, Moses and Elias, they're on the top of the mountain. They knew who they were. They had not received their heavenly bodies, but their life was there. Their body, excuse me, their souls were in heaven. They recognized them. They knew who they were. There's coming a time when they'll receive that heavenly body. And, and so that change will take place. And in God, you say, well, the fellow was eaten by a shark. And uh, he was burnt up. And 
you know, that dust particles. And how's God going to do all that? If God can say a word and put all this into existence, that's nothing for him. That's little stuff. A great transformation. A change will take place. This old body won't do anymore, Brother Roy. It won't do anymore. You and I will get a new one. Look at verse number, again we mentioned it, verse number 50. Cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. The dead will be raised incorruptible. Verse number 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised. How? Incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. The death at, at the resurrection, those who are dead shall be raised incorruptible, receiving that heavenly body, raised, changed. Those who have died, we are going to go up changed. How quick is it going to happen? In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. The, the word for moment is where we would get our English word Adam from. The smallest of smallest particles. Paul uses a, a Greek word that describes it's as small of a space of time that you could even have an imagine of. In a moment. In a twinkling of an eye. And he goes on to say the moment in that atom of a second of a second. But the twinkling of an eye, the fastest movement of the body is the twinkling of an eye. What does it look like? I don't know. You're just twinkled. You just looked. You moved. You, you, you darted. That fast. How is all this going to take place? When? In a moment. In a twinkling of an eye. We're going to be raised incorruptible. This is, this is such, such powerful truth from the Word of God. You can't measure the movement of the human eye. When's it going to take place? In a moment, twink of an eye. At the last trump. You know, if you're part of a military installation, I guess anywhere in the world, if you have a military installation, at 5 a.m. in the morning, they play Reveille. Time to get up. Time to get to work. They raise the flag and play Reveille. The last trump will be the Reveille trump from heaven. For the believer. It'll be. It'll signal resurrection time. It'll also signal the end of the church age. In the beginning of the seven year tribulation. Here on earth. So this resurrection. This death of death. There will be a great transformation. There will be a great triumph. Look at verses 54 through 56 not only a great transformation a change but a great triumph so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption when it shall there's a moment when it takes place and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory this is great triumph Triumph for the believer. So when shall we have put on these things? Death is swallowed up. It's gone. It's swallowed up in victory. So we see a great transformation. We see a great triumph out of verses 40, 54 through 56. Notice a great thanksgiving out of verse number 57. 
But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. We say that great triumph. Let me back up. and I, I don't want to lead verse 56 out. O death, the sting of death. O death, where's thy sting? O grave, where's thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. That's that great triumph in Christ. The great thanksgiving. Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. And because of all this, Paul has spent all of this time, and he comes back to this point, and he says, because of all of this, because of the resurrection, because of the promises that we have in Christ, there's also a great exhortation. We as believers have something to live for. You ever hear somebody say, hear somebody say I just don't have anything to feel like i got anything to live for anymore. My, my, my. They don't know Christ. They need to know Christ. Look at the great exhortation out of verse number 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amazing thing. Because of the resurrection, Paul spends this entire passage to bring us back to this. He says, look, don't get discouraged. Don't get down. This is not the end. You've already got eternal life. It's just around the corner. Hang on, hang on. There's more than this. There's more than this. So therefore, be steadfast, unmovable. I'm going to stand on the truth. I'm going to stand and keep on living for God. I'm going to continue to be faithful. It was someone, uh, George Frederick Handel. Handel's Messiah. Wow. You know, we tend to sing it at Christmas time, but it ought to be, it ought to be something we do regularly. I don't know why it just a, seems to be a Christmas thing. 1741, he wrote Handel's Messiah. The entire text of Handel's Messiah is taken out of the King James Bible. Um, it's composed in 24 days. 259 pages of composition. 53 pieces of music divided in... Three specific movements, as they're called. And at the end of the entire Handel's Messiah, he adds this phrase, to God alone the glory. To God alone the glory. And the most well-known, the most uh, well-recognized piece of music is out of the second movement of that entire composition. It's called the Hallelujah Chorus. It is absolutely amazing. And in that entire second movement, Handel takes the, the woes of man, dead in trespasses and sin. And he brings forth in Scripture, in Isaiah, and, and in Revelation, and in 1 Corinthians, he uses these texts. In Daniel, he brings forth the Scripture, and he shows the the. Will the, the woe of man, the, the sin sickness of man, and he shows the compassion of the Savior, and he brings it all the way up to the point where Jesus Christ dies on the cross for our sins, and then to the resurrection. It is absolutely amazing. And that text, he, he used this, this verse 
Revelation 11 and verse number 15 to bring about part of the hallelujah course. And it says this. And the seventh angel sounded and there was a great there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdom of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Wow, the hallelujah chorus. Now, tradition says that the handle performed the hallelujah chorus before the king. And when the king heard it, the king stood up. Now, when the king stood up, everybody else stood up because the king was standing up. And that's tradition. And I don't know if you want to follow tradition, but I think it's, it'd be good to hear the hallelujah chorus. And I think it'd be good to stand up because I think we might stand up and we see the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Let's play the hallelujah chorus. Brother Philip, put that on. What, a, what an amazing way. What a way to end 1 Corinthians 15. Play it for us, brother.
But thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we have in Christ. What a great, what a great passage this is. I can think of a better way to end 1 Corinthians 15, sing Hallelujah Chorus. Let's bow our hearts in a word of prayer.